Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special ESC podcast. Um, Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever the time of day or night that you're listening to this. My name is Roger Armstrong, and I'm delighted this morning uh, in my time to be talking to uh, the ESC. And the topic for today's podcast is, I think, something that many, many Evertonians are going to be interested in. It's been um, covered quite widely in uh, national and local media over the last two or three weeks. It's the 27 Years Campaign. Um, It's a campaign full of mystery. We don't really seem to know who's behind it, but uh, one person who is prepared to put their head above the parapet and take a little bit of flack as a result is uh, Paul the Esk. So, Paul, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Roger. I'm, I'm very good, thank you. Very good indeed. Um, Excellent. I, I'm not sure I'm taking too much flack. Um, the shields are up anyway, but that's okay. Okay, so long as the um, air to uh, the air defence missile system is, is fully <laughs> operational, you've changed the batteries on that, I think you should be all right. I have seen a few brickbats coming over, but it's Everton Twitter. We would expect nothing less. Um, so the 27 years campaign, we all know, 1995, Um, Those of us who were there at Wembley on that glorious day in May when uh, Paul Rideout scored the winner against Manchester United, big Joe Royals boys won the cup. Seems like yesterday, but also seems a long, long time ago. And here we are in 2022. It's 27 years. And if we can win the FA Cup this year, it will be 27 years without a trophy, and that cycle will be broken. The 27 years campaign, Paul, what are its objectives? And who's behind it? Who dreamt it up? I think, I think it's really important to recognise uh, the significance of the name of the campaign in the first instance. 20 decisions that the shareholders made. Um, and based on the total lack of progress on and off the pitch. So it's really important to focus on uh, how long it's been and then to call to everybody who's involved in the club to do the things that are necessary to make it a success. So that's the, the, the primary objective of uh, the campaign, is to make the club successful once more, to, or to bring to attention all those that are able to make it successful, to make it successful. So then you have to ask yourself, well, who is the person that can make the club a success? Um, and, you know, we, we're, we're guilty of this on uh, Everton Business Matters and, and on our, our various podcasts and all the stuff that we do on social media. For a number of years, we've focused our attention on the board and said that, you know, the board has to deliver. Well, <clears throat> yes, they do, but they ha- the fact is that they haven't. And we can, we can sort of ask the board, we can go to shareholder meetings, AGMs, etc., and complain to the board about not being able to deliver. But actually, if they're not capable of delivering, if they don't have the resources, if they don't have the ability, they don't have the, uh, the quality, the experience, or even possibly the desire, the ambition, to do what's necessary to become a successful club. We're really wasting our time. So the next thing that we have to do then is address the, per- the, the one and only person who can make changes at the top of the club, both the board and the executive team, um, to make us a success. So this, this campaign is totally about engaging with Farhad Mashiri and getting the message to him that if he wants the club to be successful, as, he, as he's said in the past and as he's funded it, then uh, the onus is now on him because the board aren't going to do the things that they need to do in order to make us a success. And actually what the board needs to do is actually remove themselves from the process and put people in 
who can make it a success, but they're never going to do that themselves. So it's down to Mishiri. So that's the purpose of the campaign, to somehow articulate to Mishiri our views, that he is the one and only person that can make the changes necessary, and two, to get him to make those changes that sees a return on his investment, uh, both his financial and his emotional investment in the club. Because the other key point, and, and this is, I think, one of the key things about the campaign, is that his interests and our interests are totally aligned. He's made an emotional, but primarily f- financial investment in the club. He wants to see a return on that. We make an emotional investment every day of our lives, and uh, those that go to the match uh, week in, week out, those that uh, subscribe to various broadcast channels around the world, make a financial investment to the club as well as the emotional investment. We want to see a successful football club. So actually, our interests are wholly aligned. We, what we should be in is a position where we recognise we're not in a position to be successful, but we actually want to do something about it in order to make us successful. So that's the purpose of the campaign. Now, in terms of the people behind it, uh, it's, it's an interesting one. And there's been some criticism on social media, and I'll address that directly in terms of, you know, there's no accountability. Who are you to represent the interests of the fans? Uh, the fact that you're anonymous um, destroys your argument. Well, first of all, we don't represent anybody other than the people within the campaign itself. We're quite happy to accept that other fans, <clears throat> other fan groups, other uh, social media influencers will have different views. Um, and that's fine. We, we don't need to represent them. We're just representing the people behind the campaign. And the people behind the campaign are a very wide-ranging group of people. Most are match-going match fans. Most, I, I would suggest, actually live in the city itself. And most go home and away. Now, they're actually the ones that probably have the most to lose in terms of if there's conflict between the campaign and the club or the club feel at the campaign, uh, as they've done with other campaigns in the past, uh, doesn't represent their interests, the interests of the board or the executive, then um, in the past there's been retaliatory measures. You know, people have been banned from Goodison. Uh, the Blue Union members were banned from Goodison for their campaign um, a decade ago. So I understand why those people, those people that perhaps fear uh, losing access to the ground, losing access to the club that they love home and away, don't at this moment in time uh, want to disclose their um, their identities. That doesn't mean they're any, any less passionate about what they believe in. It probably means that they're more passionate. Um, but I don't think it distracts from the campaign because the campaign's simple message is to get to Mishiri, to get him to make the changes that are necessary. I mean, it's really interesting when you talk about commitment and investment. You know, <clears throat> one just has to... Look at the pickup times for Norwich on Saturday when coaches will be departing Liverpool at 6am um, to get all the way across the country. I've been to Norwich. It's a long way. Norwich is at least two hours from anywhere uh, and it's a damn sight more than two hours from Liverpool. So if you're getting up at whatever time, 5am, to get on a coach at 6am, to go and watch the team kick off at 3pm, to get back after midnight, that's a pretty significant investment, not just financially, but emotionally. And I think it's a very interesting to align those interests, the interest, the investment of the fans with the financial commitment that Mashiri has made. Um, Paul, you published the campaign, published um, five questions for Mashiri. Um, 
Can you just trot us through those quite quite quickly? Because I think they're really important questions. We can debate, you know, what sort of football club we want, but ultimately we want a successful football club. And, and those questions that you're asking of Mashiri um, are, are really quite critical. So just trot us through those, could you? Sure. I mean, one one of Mashiri's um, one of the criticisms that's laid at Mashiri's door is his uh, inability to communicate effectively w- yeah. with the fan base. Um, both in terms of what he says, but also in terms of the channels that he uses. Uh, you know, we don't. We obviously don't support the use of um, talk sport uh, as, as an organisation. And you know, one would argue that Jim White is just a sens- sensationalist. So, is he a proper, you know, se- you know, serious journalist through which you'd want to communicate your club strategy? Um, the answer to that is probably no. Well, it's definitely no. Actually, um, it should be done through 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 the club. So. These questions are designed to ask or to uh, receive the answers that all fans want. And they're based on, first of all, you know, what is your, your winning aspiration? What is the purpose of Everton Football Club as far as you're concerned, Mr. Mashiri? So it gives him an opportunity to lay out his vision for the club and, and, and what, he, what he wants to do with it, where he, where he wants to take us. If you get, then they get into slightly more detail. So... If you want us to be, if you want to define us as a winning organisation, what does winning actually mean uh, to you, Mr. Mashiri? What does it mean? Does it mean that you're just happy to remain within the Premier League, which, given our position at the moment, is possibly realistic? Um, does it mean that we want to be a top eight club? Uh, something that Benitez doesn't think it be eight as being particularly impressive. Do we want to do well in domestic cup competitions? Or do we want to be Europa League qualifiers? Do we want to be Champions League qualifiers? Do we want to be European uh, Cup winners at some point in the near future? And indeed, if you want to go to the the extreme, would we like to be FIFA World Club champions at one day? So give us an an idea of the scale of your ambition in terms of what you want us to be. That's the second question. So it's what what mm, does good look like? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You tell us what it is. And, and where you think uh, you would be happy for us to be performing over what time period. Mm-hmm. Then you have to ask, how will that be achieved? So the third question, and actually this is the most difficult one, is how do we go from where we are now to wherever it is that you want us to go? And there are two elements, which are the fourth and the fifth question um, in this, is what do we need to do in terms of personnel within, within the organisation? So starting at the, with the chairman and the CEO, then the rest of the board, then the rest of the executive team, looking at the football side, you know, director of football, uh, first team coach, all of the um, ancillary staff that are needed there, the academy, all the elements of, of, of the football team would be included in this. So what personnel requirements are required that we don't currently have? What changes do we need to make in personnel? That's you know, the first instance. And then the second um or the final question, second part of, of, of this question, the fifth question, is um, what changes in, in systems are required? So the, the, when I say systems, I mean the way that the club is run. So this is really a, a fundamentally a governance question. Uh, how do we change the way the club is run to make better use of the resources that we have? And the resources are financial and the resources are, are people. So it's what system exists within the club that allows best use of, of those resources. And those, <clears throat> those five fundamental questions 
are uh, they're not unique to Everton. They're asked of many chairmen, of many CEO, of many shareholders around the world when institutional investors ask uh, their managers or their other shareholders, the majority shareholder in this case, how are you going to make your, your organization a success? So this is a tried and tested um, set of questions that establishes exactly how the owner of a business is going to achieve what he says he's going to achieve. Okay. I think what we're saying is that very simply, you're running this business. We don't quite know what you want to achieve with this business. What do you want to achieve and how will you define success? And have you got the resources available to achieve that success? Because we frankly don't think you have. I mean, I remember now, Christ, what is it, four or five years ago, we started Everton Business Matters. We talked about the, you know, the John Blaine foot race and how we needed to catch up with the, the top six, the big six, the sky six, whatever you want to call them. We haven't made any progress catching them up. And we've got overtaken by the West Hams, by the Leicesters, by the Wolves, even by the Brentfords, by the Brightons. And, you know, we're in the bottom half of the table. So it's a pretty big disaster coming over the hill from where I see it as a, as a supporter. Um, Paul, how do you answer the challenge, though? Is this really, really the right time to be holding up banners and organising walkouts or sit-ins or whatever it is? Isn't it incumbent upon every Evertonian now to just get behind the team? Because we need points. You know, we're going to a six relegation six-pointer at Norwich, for the love of God. Surely we need to be united. Well, clearly there's a balance between um, supporting the club and supporting the players specifically in the 90 minutes uh, that they're on the pitch. Um, and, you know, the, the immediate and long-term needs of, of the club. We, we, su- we support, oh, the, the match-going supporters support Everton um, to the absolute hilt, week in, week out. Uh, I could argue that that support actually hasn't uh, manifested itself in, in, in better results. I mean, you know, our away support is, is second to none around the country. And I'm not saying that it's not valuable. Of course, it's extremely valuable. But actually, there's no evidence that it produces the results on the pitch that we want. Because if, if, it, if there was evidence, uh, we would have the best away form in the country and would be a far more... If we wanted to judge our performance by the level of support that the team receives, um, we would be in a far better position. We'd be much higher up the league than we are currently. So I think whilst it's important that we do support everybody that's on the pitch for the 90 minutes that they're on the pitch, there is a disconnect between performance and and, and that level of support. There's not a correlation between the two. So that's how I would answer it in the first instance. The most important thing is, is, though, is the timing of it. If we don't make our points known and our points being very specific to Farhad Nashiri, What's going to change within the organisation that makes uh, the rest of this season, but the summer and the following season and the season after that, before we get to Bramley Moor, different? If we don't have change, we're not going to change uh, our levels of performance. And this is against a backdrop where uh, the competitive element, the, all of our competitors, the, the, the so-called big six clubs, and then the clubs like West Ham, um, and several others, perhaps a dozen other clubs, are either better resourced than we are, or they have higher quality management, both within the business, but also within, within the football team. If we don't acknowledge that and do something about it, 
we're leaving it to chance whether we can outperform any of those, for example, say say a, a dozen clubs, or even if it's just ten clubs, the top ten clubs in the Premier League, and that's not that's not where we want to be. That's not where we want to be as a club. So, um, we really don't have a day to spare in terms of getting this message out to Farhad Nishiri yeah. and getting him to act on the message. You know, it has to it has to start today. Leaving it three months or leaving it uh, four months until we're guaranteed. Premier League survival for another season isn't enough because in four months' time, if we don't do something about it starting today, we're going to be further behind everybody else than we are uh, at this particular moment. Okay. Listen, Paul, the other cynics would say, what on earth can Denise Barrett-Baxendale do about our performances on the pitch? You know, she can't add value into the, uh, you know, the transfer dealings. Um, she uh, can't really affect team selection tactics or, or anything of that nature. Um, so really, really can whoever's on the board of this football club and any football club, how can they affect what happens on the pitch? Surely, you know, it's all down to Guardiola or Tuchel or Klopp or whoever it is. Surely it's all about the manager and the players. What on earth can the board do to influence that? And therefore, why do we need to replace this board? Um a board of directors directs, a bit, directs the business. That's why they're called um, directors. And <clears throat> from my perspective, very simply, uh, I don't know a successful business anywhere that doesn't have a good board directing that business. So, uh, and that's true of football. It's true of any other sport. It's certainly true of um, you know commerce and industry ar- around the world. You, you have to have a board that's capable of directing. Uh, an, an organization because without so what that what skills are lacking in the current incumbents then i mean people would say that some some people would say nobody knows everton better than bill kenwright and and and, and denise has been around she knows the bones of the club the culture of the club she's done great work with the, the charitable side of the club you know she's everton through and through you know so what skills don't they have i think n- knowing the city Knowing the supporters, allegedly, knowing the club uh, <clears throat> aren't necessary qualifications for uh, running a successful football club. Okay. Um, I, I wrote something the other day about uh, to run a successful club, you need an, a number of pillars upon which uh, you build it. It's sort of, you know, the analogy, if you want to use Bramley Moore as the analogy, the, you know, the foundations, the piles that they're currently drilling in, in, into Bramley Moore to, to, to support the stadium. If you want a successful football club, you need uh, strong shareholder support. Now, I think financially, we're pretty certain that we get that. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get it in the future, if not from the shareholder through uh, sponsorship arrangements with USM, for example. And, that, and, and that's good. We need good governance, which we don't have. Good governance means that the, the structure of the organization in terms of how it functions. It means in terms of the board, not every board member being an executive of the club, meaning you have non-executive directors, not a Graham Shaw, um, with the greatest respect to him. And you have independent uh, non-executive directors who are people that don't work for the club or do something else in their lives elsewhere, but come in and give their experience and challenge the people, the other people around the board. You, you need that. <clears throat> I think you need to decide that if you're going to have a director of football, that you adhere to the director of football model, which means that the director of football is effectively the CEO of the of the of the football organisation within 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 the club, and um, and you make that decision, you appoint somebody, 
and you commit to that model. If it turns out that you've chosen the wrong person, then you, you, you change the person, you don't change the model. Right. That's how other successful clubs run, and I think that's the model going forward. I think you need to create a consistent uh, footballing philosophy throughout the whole club. So you make a statement, this is Everton Football Club, we play football, and this is the manner in which we play football. And we play football from the most senior t- team, the first team, all the way down to the you know, under, under eights in, 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 in the same way. I think we need a proper recruitment policy, which is decided probably in conjunction with the major shareholder, but is decided by him and the board that this is the process that we go through for any senior appointment within the organisation. It's not down to an individual. There's a natural process that we go through to, to stop all of this ridiculous um, recruitment decisions that we've made over uh, the last five or six years, both in terms of players, but also in terms of managers, coaches, directors of football, etc. A process that stops the individual from one individual from dominating those, those types of decisions. And then ultimately we need a sustainable business model, a model that um, means that we don't spend more than, than we earn, which is what we've done for the last five, six years, which has given us the difficulties that we have uh, with profitability and sustainability with it and, and the Premier League. And that model is, um, I think it's based on, on three, on three things. It's based on, Sensible, sensible recruitment and sensible wages, which is one, i.e. not overpaying to bring people in, which is what we've been guilty of in the past. Yes. It means uh, successful player trading, which is an acknowledgement that part of the game today is that you either bring people through the academy or you buy young players from other people's academies, you develop them and you sell them. And there shouldn't be an issue in terms of selling them because you then reinvest the proceeds from that back into into the squad that's how all the successful football clubs operate and and we're a million miles uh, away from doing that and finally you have a commercial strategy that uh, produces returns which are commensurate with a club of the size and um, presence of Everton and we build that size and we build that presence around the world with appropriate partners and we generate more income than we are doing currently. Um, that, to me, are the pillars of a successful football club. And the challenge that uh, 27 Years campaign is making to fire the machinery is, you know, how do you create the structure? How do you bring the individuals in that uh, allows those pillars to be built and those pillars to get bigger and stronger as the club gets bigger and stronger? It's interesting to talk about the culture of the club, isn't it? The identity of the club, because that's, I think, really where this goes to the heart of that goes to the heart of this campaign because the club that I grew up supporting a long time ago um, was about winning trophies and 27 years as you said at the at the outset as the as the moniker for the club says it all 27 years our longest peacetime uh, period without winning a trophy and it strikes me thinking back to 1995 that you know since then Peter Johnson disappeared and Ken Wright saved us, of course. That's the way the narrative has been spun. But from that moment on, through the um, you know, managers that we had, through Smith and Moyes and some of the successes that we had under Moyes, relative successes. But this whole little old Everton, magnificent seventh knife to a gunfight culture was perpetuated by Bill because it suited him. It suited him in his narrative. 
that you know we were always the underdogs and we were the, you know we were the feisty ones and, and and we you know have a good go maybe just come up short but everyone loved us and and it strikes me that Mashiri hasn't been able to change that culture he came in he said he didn't want us to be a museum he said that you know he was going to invest we needed Hollywood managers he wanted us to compete to win trophies to be in Europe but he hasn't been able to change that culture and that culture of let's not call it failure, but that culture of not succeeding, that culture of mediocrity, that culture of accepting opposition that somehow Everton is outside of the echelons of the top six or the top four, when we were one of the power brokers that formed the Premier League in the early 90s. You know, for someone, uh, you and I are of you know, similar age, for those of our generation, it really sticks in the gullet. And we really hoped that Mashiri would do that. And, and, and he hasn't been able to. And why is that why has he not been able to make those changes why hasn't he made those changes is there some sort of obligation as part of the acquisition that he has to keep ken wright and, and ken wright's uh, supporters there uh, or, or is it that he just believes the spin that he's fed from the board that everything's fine what do you what do you make of mashiri's inaction and his inability six plus years in to change that culture of mediocrity Paul? Well, it's, it's, it's baffling that he hasn't made the changes that are necessary. Um, and the changes are necessary, for, for I think, for, uh, for a number of reasons. But the primary reason is that the people who, who he has left in charge, the, the, the story that was spun to him that he bought, um, are people who probably genuinely try their best, but actually their best isn't good enough. Mm. They, are, they are at the limits of their... Uh, of, of their experience, their knowledge, their capabilities. They actually can't do a better job than they're doing. Um, they're a bit now, like Salomon Rondon on the pitch then. <laughs> yeah, a willing trier, you know? Yeah. Um, the big puzzle is, and, you know, that's why the club is where it is, and that's why, you know, in the Kenwright years, we never achieved anything more than, than we did because uh, – we were actually overachieving in terms of the resources and in terms of the quality of the personnel that were running the club. Um, yep. the, the, the big issue is why Mashiri hasn't addressed that uh, to this date. Uh, now, it may be that he uh, is not interested. I, I, don't, I can't buy that because he wouldn't have made yep. the amount of investment that he's Me made. Me neither. No, I don't buy the he doesn't care argument. He can't. I mean, I, he's a wealthy man, but 500, 600 million pound down the drain. That doesn't stick, sit well with anyone, surely to God. Well, I, I estimate that he's spent 685 million so far to get to where he is now. Nice. Um, I really don't know. In the, in the early days, I, I assumed that there was some form of uh, shareholder agreement that said uh, Bill Kenwright and the board would, would stick around for a number, number of years, however long that might be. Uh, I can't sensibly, I can't think that somebody sensibly would agree to somebody staying for five, six, maybe longer. Um, so I, I wonder about that. Uh, I, I really don't know. And, that, and that's part of the, the future engagement exercise, should we get to that point with Farhad Mashiri, uh, to get an understanding of, first of all, where he wants Everton to go. But secondly, how does he actually believe that the people he's got are going to get him to the place that he wants to go when the evidence is actually that we're sort of firmly stuck in reverse at the moment, not going forwards whilst everybody else passes us. Um, exactly. It's, it's, it's a puzzle, I, I, and I don't have an answer to it. 
other than other than uh, getting in front of him and asking yeah. him the question and, and getting a response. It, it just, you know, who is running Everton Football Club? Because it doesn't look like it's Mashiri. It looks like he's financing it. But, you know, some of the changes he's tried to make, he brought in his own finance man, Sasha Ryzansev. He's left. Um, no real explanation there. We can, you know, make some assumptions, maybe add two and two and make six or seven. Um, and, and then he brought in Marcel Brands, who I was personally never a great fan of because I don't think he delivered a great deal. But at least there was a system there and there was some sort of structure, some sort of professional process. And, you know, we are one of only two uh, Premier League clubs without a director of football right now. And, and, and Marcel Brands left, which I was very surprised about. Um, we've got the most unpopular manager imaginable, imaginable, who we're being asked to unite behind, which brings me on to him. You know, the banners that we see um, tend to be, the, the ones that get covered tend to say, Benitez, get out of our club or something similar. Benitez is just a human shield for the board, for Mashiri. Should he not be the focus of our ire so that we can get to them, Paul? Or, or, or are the bigger bigger targets we should be going for directly? We have to make those observations very clear to everybody who's involved in the football club, but ultimately very clear to Fahad Mashiri because he's the only one that can make the changes that will bring about a turnaround in our performance. Because if you, let's be absolutely clear, if there's no change to the structure in terms of how the club is run, if there's no change to the individuals that are running the club, we are not going to perform better than we are now. I think that I think that's absolutely fair. So, Paul, if you had a message, this is the purpose of this really is to give those who haven't, you know, Twitter is, is one space where people interact about Everton, but there are lots of others, just social media, but match going fans, forums and supporters groups that are gathering and talking around the world from, you know, Australia to North America uh, and all parts in between. Uh, there are committed followers of boys in the royal blue jersey. What message would you have for Everton fans to offer their support? How can they get involved with the campaign? Um, and what input do you want from them? What actions? What are the next steps for the campaign? All right. Um, if we just take a step, one little step back first, Roger. It's, it's important to recognise that uh, the 27 Years campaign is not the only campaign that's campaigning for change within Everton. Yeah. That, and, and we don't want it to be the only campaign that's campaigning for change within Everton. We want every other uh, fan group to do what they think is necessary. So if it's a group of young kids, young lads and girls that, that are on the lower Gladys Street who want to do a sit-in or want to do a banner campaign or you know want to sit in the middle of, of uh, Goodison Road, whatever it is, then, the, then they should do that. This is, we have to um, broaden the uh, the need for change and what actions are needed in order to bring about that change across the whole fan base. This can't be like sort of a, an elite group of people, like you know, some people might say about the twenty seven year campaign. It's it's not about uh, the twenty seven year campaign per se. It's about the whole of the Everton fan base, be they on social media, be they just people who listen to Everton on Radio Merseyside be they people who've got season tickets and had season tickets um, going back generations. It's about every single Evertonian recognising that if they want change at Everton in terms of how we perform on the pitch, they've got to bring about change 
in the boardroom and the executive um, suites at Goodison Park. And in order to get that change, they've got to get to Mr. Mishiri. That's that's the key message from, from me. The 27 years campaign will continue to do what it what it, it's try, what it's trying to do, which is build support in in, in the media, um, put pressure where we can do on Fahad Mashiri to listen to us, to engage with us, and then and then to act on uh, what we think is right, but also what other people think is right in terms of how the club um, moves from where it is now to where it needs to get to. But the whole mess, well, the, the single message from this is uh, the 27 Years campaign is a campaign, but it's part of an, a group of campaigns. And we would uh, b- both advise and encourage all Evertonians to get part, get part, get become part of a campaign that they feel comfortable with, given their age, given their views, given their circumstances, and make the campaign as wide as possible, the campaign being a campaign for change, not just a 27 years. 27 years just happens to be the name of our campaign. This is a thing that needs to be much wider than that. It needs to be the whole fan base saying to the club that our performance levels are not acceptable and you need to make the changes necessary to get our performance levels to a standard that we believe that we should be operating at. That's it. Thank you. It's a very succinct summary. I normally like to do a bit of a summary, but Paul, I think you've done a great job there. Um, we're talking about a football club that we all love dearly for a variety of reasons that we've come to by chance, by good fortune, in most cases, through long-standing family connections. And we've all made great friends who are Evertonians that we know, that we meet, that we go to the game with, that we chat to. Um, this is our club those people who own the club, those people who play for the club, those people who represent uh, us on the pitch and those people who direct it from the boardroom are purely custodians. They're only here for the short term. And I think it's absolutely now the time for the fan base to, through whatever means they have, whatever means they're comfortable with, try to address the issues of underperformance of this great football club that used to be known for winning trophies, that used to be known for competing. We have no God-given right to any of those, but we need to be doing a damn sight more than we are presently, wallowing around the bottom half of the Premier League with a half-baked squad and a manager that no one can really get behind. Um, I think it's time for change. I think it's time for the fan base to rise up and to react. I think, in the words of Tracy Chapman, We are talking about a revolution. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and we'll be back with you very soon. Until that time, up those toffees. I'm gonna